into it. Today we want to look at David and Abigail and uh, an interesting chapter. Uh, last time though, we've kind of concentrated on David and his whole attitude towards Saul. And there's going to be a contrast between chapter 24 and what we're going to see here in chapter 25. In the way David reacts to uh, people doing bad things to him. And uh, just to remind ourselves that David, with all the good things that we learned of David, he was a man uh, like us. He was a sinner like us. And so we'll see kind of two different Davids starting today as well. So anyway, but we did see David offering a good uh, example of letting the Lord put you in a place of leadership rather than exerting yourself. One of the things we see with David, he knows he's going to be king, he's been anointed to be king, but he is letting the Lord get rid of Saul his way. That there, that to, to, for him to kill Saul and to, to uh, exalt it, or to put himself in a place of king sets an example that I think we can learn from it. It's self-exaltation. To, it's better for the Lord to work some things out than for us to push ourselves, right? And, and I think we kind of learned something about that and we dealt with that last week. Let someone take you to the lead head chair rather than having to be removed from it. Jesus uses that example, right? Uh, in one of, uh, if he's dealing with people from the pride. It's, it's better for people to recognize you as the leader or to recognize a quality in you. Because if you've got to tell people, you know, how qualified you are or how, you know, what gifts you have, then that, there's a, that's a little bit of an issue. Why? Why, why don't, because they don't see it. Right? Just like, you know, you know, my desire to be, at one time to be a pastor, that's what ordination in one sense is all about. It is the church recognizing your gifts, recognizing your calling, not you going around looking for somebody to ordain you, right? Uh, because you, that's why you need to move to church. You can spend time there and you exercise your gifts, right? So forcing issues that promote you often leads to resentment. If the Lord works things out rather than you, others certainly be more prone uh, to be better with your position and to have a better attitude towards it. I think we'll, we'll see that with David as he becomes king. <clears throat> so here we have the account of David and Abigail. Let me just sum up the chapter. Uh, Abigail is married to Nabal, which means fool. He's a rich man. And uh, David has been camped out uh, as he has been, you know, hiding from Saul. He's been camped out for quite a while, evidently, around this large ranch where he has 3,000 sheep, uh, 1,000 goats. And uh, he has been, uh, well, so it's it's a shearing time. It's a time of plenty for Nabal. And David sent on his men and said, look, go tell him that we've, been here, we've not only done you no harm, and we haven't taken anything from you, but we have been in one sense of protection around you to make sure marauders or robbers or whoever would harm you. We're, we have uh, been a, a hedge around you. So, could you give my men some of the something to eat and let them share in uh, not just as men, but of course the families and everybody uh, share in your goodness. And Nabal uh, is doesn't uh, go that direction. We'll see that in just a moment. And so David decides, well, I'm going to kill every last male on this ranch. And Abigail hears about this, and she comes out, and she uh, calms David down, and, and I think offers words.
that she's and there's another contest here that's between Abigail and her husband. Her husband who is his name is a fool, which what parent names your kid a fool, but you know, so I'm not exactly sure what's going on there, but somehow, you know, the Lord works it out. But Abigail is seen as one who has wisdom. She uh, is a help to David in that sense. So, it's interesting that the only person who, it, the chapter starts off though in verse 1, of Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in the house of Ramah. Someone pointed out, and I think interestingly so, that in the Bible, uh, when a person dies, they get perhaps a verse, and then that's it, then they move on. It'll happen with David. David will come to his end, then David passes and Solomon takes over, right, or whoever. And the point is made that no matter how great the person is, uh, there's a verse given to their death and moved on. But, of course, with Jesus, it's different. With Jesus, his death is everything. It's the focal point, the turning point of human history. But for us, we're not Jesus, right? We, uh, so, so we get that verse and then we move on. It's like we, you know, there's a sense in which we can say that each one of us has a role to play in a God's redemptive plan. We come onto the stage, we come onto the scene to do our part for our few years and then we move on. So in a sense, um, we gotta think of ourselves like that. You know, sometimes we like to make everything about ourselves and it's good for us sometimes to stop and remember that I'm just been given a part to play for a while and this is all the Lord's play. This is the Lord's drama. And uh, it's about him. So when my role is done, I move on, and the, and the drama will continue until the Lord comes back. And, and one thing we could say, it's the backstage party that's everything. That's the important thing. Is when we go to heaven, that's where our reward comes, right? And, uh, and I remember uh, I had a speaker who kind of dealt with that whole idea of the Lord's drama and our part in the drama. And I remember there was a young lady in the church who, she, she had the tendency to just blurt out whatever she was thinking. I remember her saying at some point afterwards, I don't like the idea that I'm just playing, a, uh, I just have a role to play and then I'm God. Well, that's an issue. There's a problem there, right? Cause, you know, who's, who's the one that we're here for, right? And so we see here with Samuel that no one is indispensable. And it's important for us to understand our part and be faithful to the Lord. And yet, you wonder if maybe this is mentioned here is because Samuel's death leaves a bit of a void in Israel. A void in David's life, that steadying factor as being a faithful prophet of the Lord. Because as soon as we learn that David, uh, that Samuel passes on, we see David really, uh, you know, dropping the ball. So uh, maybe that's what's going on here. But we do have these interesting char- characters, this husband and wife, Nabal and uh, Abigail. And Nabal is introduced by saying that he is rich. They don't say uh, Nabal, a rich man. They say, here's a rich man who is a fool. His name uh, Nabal. And you can't help but think a little bit of the rich fool in the New Testament. Remember who uh, Jesus says uh, he was all concerned about building his barns and then didn't realize that he was going to die that very night. And I, the thought occurred to me while I was studying this that perhaps Nabal 
is the one Jesus is referring to. You know, maybe that's in his mind anyway. He doesn't say that, but Nabal plays the part very well. Nabal is good at making money, but not good at uh, serving the Lord and being kingdom-minded. And uh, we'll see here, of course, that he, his life is taken from him uh, because of this. And so he's, he's clear that he has no part for what God is doing. He wanted no part in the kingdom. Uh, David, everybody knew David had been anointed, that he was going to be the next king. And Nabal doesn't seem to care at all about David and his problems. It's all about him and his ranch and making money. So there's obviously then we have that. We're reminded that we can't think that way, that uh, his life is not about us getting along, making money, you know, just living a good life, uh, whether we can or not. His life is about the Lord. And we see here in the Lord's attitude towards Nabal that this is the correct way to think. The Lord is not pleased with Nabal, yet he's obviously pleased with uh, Abigail. <clears throat> so, uh, a verse I thought maybe helped uh, that area, Isaiah 32 6. For the fool speaks fallen, and his heart is busy with iniquity, he practices ungodliness, to utter error concerning the Lord. To leave the craving of the hungry unsatisfied and find the thirsty of the drink. You know, because his heart is busy with iniquity, sometimes we, we, we see the word iniquity and we think, well, it's an evil man, he's a murderer, he's immoral, he's, he's stealing. And all that is certainly true, that is iniquity. But it seems like this verse is almost defining the iniquity that, that the Lord is referring to here. But it says, in this case, his iniquity, the fool's iniquity, is he has no regard for his fellow man in helping them. That's just as, you know, and, and reason sometimes, you know, I don't know how many have read the book uh, by, uh, I his name escapes me, uh, Respectable Sins, Jerry Bridges, right? And that's kind of the idea behind that book. I think I have that book if anyone's interested in reading it. But he's reminding us that, you know, we got to be very careful about pointing to all the evil sins that are out there, they, they are, but to remind ourselves that we, as Christians, are fully capable of practicing sin, of sinning, and sometimes we downplay our sins, uh, and we like to emphasize the sins of others, because that's what men do, right? Sinners do. And so, uh, you know, foolishness can be uh, seen in a lot of ways, even in Christians, in our ungodliness, isn't just killing people, it's disregarding. It's, it's, it's not caring about somebody else's life, right? So, uh, I thought that was maybe something to think about in all this. Clearly, his lack of understanding, his foolishness, wasn't how to make a dollar, because he certainly could do that. He was a rich man. But it was in the inability to see what was important in life. That is something that we all have to keep before us. And so, we are reminded that respect is earned by character. Nabal was a rich man, but he, there's a sense in which he was not respected and should not be respected. He was a fool because he did not understand. Uh, he did not care about others and he did not understand what his life was all about. So, we have him, then we have his wife Abigail, uh, who the writer tells us was beautiful and intelligent. So, again, it seems to be this obvious contrast. He offers his commentary 
uh, as he contrasts these two this couple. Uh, she not only looks good, but she has good sense. And uh, what she might be a why did she marry a fool? You know, she seems to be so wise and, and a godly woman. What, what happened here? Well, of course, we don't know that she didn't become a believer later on, or she didn't grow into her wisdom. Uh, she wouldn't be the first woman to marry someone because of her money. Uh, it could have been an arranged marriage. She really, in her situation, really didn't have much say-so in it. So, there's, you know, we don't know, uh, but there's, you know, it is. It just, it, this is what, what the situation we find ourselves in. But we see here that it is possible to be a good wife, even though you have a bad husband, or to be a good husband, even though you have an unfortunate wife in some way. God has made her strong and patient in this marriage. And uh, perhaps one reason she's able to react so well with David as he gets to see a very angry at Naboth is because she's she knows she's not kidding herself about who her husband is, right? Which again maybe is a good lesson because every once in a while we see parents, family who will blindly support and defend family members when everybody knows that they're wrong. So a Christian if we're people of the truth we're truthful with each other. Now, we have to be truthful with ourselves, and that's our biggest problem. But we don't defend family just because they're family. We're, we're willing to say, you know what, this, this, this is wrong, and you're right. This, this needs to be taken care of. We don't defend what is wrong, whether it be in our own life, our friend's life, our family life, or anybody else. And uh, so we see here, she's willing to accept who her husband is. Um so God has made her strong and patient. She's made the best of the situation she was in. She doesn't use it as an excuse to become like Nabal. She still, I think, again, a lot of, there's certainly examples where people in this situation would have said, well, Nabal's my husband, so I'm going to defend him no matter what. And, of course, that would have led to the death of Nabal and not every male on the branch, right? So, you know, I just, we just see some good examples here. So, Mabel here takes a good situation and does badly. Abigail takes a bad situation and does well. And that's something I hope that each one of us, if we want to be able to say this was true of us in our situations. <clears throat> well, next we learn of David's request. Here in chapter 25, he tells some of his men uh, to go in verse 6 and say, Peace to you, peace to your house, peace to all that you have. I hear that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm. They missed nothing from all the time that we were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day, that is a day in which there is plenty. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. And when they came and they spoke this to Nabal, he says in verse 10, Nabal answered, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? Now, of course, everybody knew who that he was. And what he's saying there is that I don't care anything about David. He's just a person. See, that's why I said this. there's a spiritual thing going on here because Nabal knew that David was going to, was anointed king. And he, he was on the run unfairly from Saul, right? So he's disregarding the whole kingdom of Israel, all of God's people, what God is doing in Israel, 
life is all about me and my ranch and what I am doing and what I have. So that's supposed to be the issue. And so, um, he goes on to say in verse 10, There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men for whom I who, uh, come from I do not know where? And of course, the problem here is that David is probably a veiled reference to the fact that David has broken away from Saul. But again, everybody knew why. <clears throat> And he's trying to basically say, David, you're just a runaway servant. So David jumped in to turn and tell what um, happened. So David says in verse 13, everyone strap on your sword. Um, and later on, he basically he tells um, Abigail that I had uh, told him my men that by the end of the day, every male in this place is going to be killed. But of course, that creates some uh, things to think about as well. <clears throat> and so uh, there's a sense of course that David had no legitimate or legal right to anything Nabal had he was asking he didn't have a right to and perhaps if Nabal had said look I don't feel like we could we can do this I, I'm under this David would have been one thing but of course he insults David he insults this, this, this whole situation as I've said and that probably gets under David's note a little bit more. But um, <clears throat> another thing here, Dave, Nabal should have considered as to whether, in other words, you kind of see Nabal's foolishness in that, okay, here's a man with 600 well-trained soldiers who have done great exploits. Everybody knew about what David has done. And you talk to him uh, you know, like like this, uh, you know, a, a, a normal person would have realized. Well, look, this this guy basically holds my life in his hand. That humanly speaking, I'm not going to just deliberately insult him and just egg him on, right? So he, he could have at least tried to answer him in a kind uh, way to avert any kind of situation, right? So Nabal shows his foolishness in that he he doesn't know how to. Appropriate words and language in a situation. So uh, he makes a bad decision here on a number of fronts. But the other thing, though, is kind of the, the main point here is that David's moral victory over Saul. Just think about it. Saul has done everything Nabal's done, if not more. Saul has sought to kill. Nabal just didn't want to give him some food. Saul is trying to kill him. And yet David has refrained, even at the urging of the servants, from killing Saul. Now you've got this insignificant man, in a sense, who has merely said, I'm not giving you food. And David says, I'm not only going to kill you, but all your servants, innocent people. Do you see here that, that this is an example where David falls flat on his face from how he should be? And I think we'll see this later on as well. And so that's why I said earlier that, that perhaps we're seeing here that David has lost that steady influence of Samuel when he died here. And uh, so he is struggling a little bit in this particular sense. And, and it reminds us, you know, circumstances change. You know, the pastor won't always be there. Uh, you know, your parents won't always be there. 
uh, circumstances, uh, influences change. And if we're godly, if we love the Lord, we're able to deal with those circumstances and don't completely do something contrary to our profession. You know, so, so let's just make it real real. You know, you're, you're going along and everything's good and all of a sudden you lose a child or you lose your parent. And it, your, your life changes. You make it even more, maybe, probably the most significant thing. You lose your spouse. Perhaps you lose your spouse and you're not 80, 90 years old. You lose your spouse and you're only 40 or 50. Your circumstances completely change. But there's no excuse for us to all of a sudden lose our faith, lose our religion, as they say. If it's real, how can you? Well, it doesn't mean that we are going to handle all that stuff perfectly. I'm not trying to say that. But we're, we're here, as we said at the beginning, we're here to, do our, to play our part in the drama of redemption. And sometimes that's going to mean difficult parts. Some parts are more harder than others, right? Some people, some actors, you know, can kind of use the analogy, have to learn a lot more lines than other people. Right? It is more difficult, and that's okay, because they have the opportunity to reveal the glory of Christ and the love of Christ in a way that perhaps somebody else never will. David allowed a, a change of circumstance for him to completely go contrary to what he is normally. So we see David in a little bit different light than we have so far. He isn't nearly concerned about lifting up the sword against someone who is anointed, that is Saul, but his patience has not extended to his own to one of his own peers. You see, just because he's not he's unwilling to kill Saul, and you know we don't there's no problem with that. Here now, for something much less, he's willing to commit murder and, and in a sense, mass murder. So I think it's just good for us to consider these things. Maybe we have learned to be patient when the Lord brings His providence brings trials into our life. But when one of our brothers or sisters in Christ brings a trial in our life, we lose our patience. We're quick to lash out. We've learned perhaps in some situations to do well, but there's some things that trigger us. So we want to examine those things. And are there times when I seem to do well in some situations, in other situations, and I struggle? To have the right attitude and to be loving, right? So, uh, it's, it's kind of have an example here for us to think about. <clears throat> so here, this chapter, we see not so much David being godly, but we see the Lord preventing him from acting rashly. We see this actually several verses, but you know, for instance, in verse 26, as he's talking to Abigail. She says, and then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to be evil to my Lord be as able. So, um, she, you know, she, she's, she's reminding David that when the Lord has given you an opportunity by her coming out, because Abigail hears about this and gets this second, what David one of her servants comes and tells, uh, well, it, it, it's interesting, it's a male servant, comes to Abigail, because he's, he realizes his life is about to be uh, cut short. He goes to Abigail and says, look, David's planning on killing us all, all the males. If you don't do something, we're ruined. And 
So Abigail goes and she stops David. You know, she bows to him and she says, you know, she, she, she reminds David of that he is the blessed Lord. She reminds David that uh, he is going to be king some someday. And she says, stop and think about do you want to re- live with the regret of doing this, right? Uh, she says that this is starting in verse 23. First of all, she says in verse 24, uh, oh, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. She's willing to say, Lord, uh, David, don't uh, exercise your wrath against my husband and all these innocent people. Let it be against me. She's willing to be a substitute. So that, that just shows her character. We've seen the character of Nabal, but here we have a good example of the character of Abigail, right? And she says in verse 25, Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal. So she's not oblivious to where her husband is. And she's willing to admit that he's done wrong to Whereas his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. You know, she wasn't around. So she, you know, she had no part of it. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from the blood guilt, that is, to this point, he's allowed someone to come along and just remind David, or you know, point out David that he better, this maybe is not the best thing to do. And from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal, so she kind of pronounces a blessing upon him. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Of course, she had called that servant to go and to grab a whole bunch of provisions and to bring it with her. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. That is calamity. Remember that the word evil often means calamity and not moral evil. If men arise to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies you shall sling out from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord, that is Yahweh, notice the difference, Lord in capital letters, when Yahweh has done to my Lord, that is David, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, that's why I say they knew who David was and what was going on in David's life. And you, prince over Israel, when you become king, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause for my Lord, or for my Lord taking vengeance himself. But when the Lord has done well with my Lord, then remember your servant. So just excellent, excellent advice, but advice that we know and probably every one of us can say, you know what, I wish somebody had reminded me that before I did this and said that. I mean, I can, you know, often through my life can look back and say, well, I'm just glad the Lord stopped me from doing that, from going there, from saying that, from doing that. And, and, and here, here's the Lord stopping David, but he's using uh, godly advice. He's using somebody who doesn't just sit there and say, well, you know, I don't care if he kills my husband. He's, he's a fool. Or whatever. No. They're willing to put their life on the line for what is right. And, and, and the Lord blesses that. 
So, um, you know, here we got someone who is mature, willing to go to someone and say, look, um, think about this for a minute. When it's all over with, do you want this hanging on your phone? And whether you have someone who's willing to say that to you or not, it's something that we should as Christians train ourselves before we do stuff, especially before we do stuff that we know might not go over well. Sometimes you've got to, sometimes you have to admonish, sometimes you've got to confront people, right? <clears throat> but to stop and say, okay, what are my motivations for doing this? Is this something that is going to be good or that I thought I have to do? Is this something, is this actually going to be something that I know it, uh, later on I'm going to regret? You know, and I think that's what, what the right things to think about. So some good principles here. And one of them then is that anything done in haste, and I think I've talked about this recently, when I, often in my life, when I have done things spur of the moment, without without any time to think about it, quick decision, and sometimes, you know, you, I mean, sometimes you have to make a quick decision, but I can, the times that stick out the most are when I uh, make a, per, a big purchase to spur the moment, I don't stop and think about it. That seems like that always is a bad idea, right? But, we, we shouldn't be people that do things in haste, spur the moment, but think about it. Meditate on God's word. Uh, what, you know, are, are there principles that speak to this? Think about the ramifications. Do I have the money for this? Is, is this going to cause hardship? You know, is this right? Are my motivations right in, in speaking to this person or doing this thing? And sometimes if we just stop and think it through, that you know what, I think we're gonna wait on this. I'm gonna I'm just gonna wait here. So again, I think that's just good, solid Christian maturity in the, in the things we want to do. And also hard times are not an excuse uh to forget to be spiritually minded. In other words, as, as we've already pointed out, this circumstances should not dictate how we think and what we do. Here David has let this He's determined to kill every male on the ranch. Nabal had not, like Saul, determined to kill David. But David is ready to kill Nabal, though he would not kill Saul when he had opportunity. And I say there's a contrast here that, that it just shows that David is in the flesh, right? He's not, uh, he's not living by the Spirit in this particular instance. Um, someone said, I thought it was a good, uh, a good, uh, quote, that, uh, when people treat us in a haughty, contemptuous way, we far too easily give way to our own feelings of outrage and are ready to take revenge. Yet when the, when we take matters into our own hands, we are practically always exposed to unrighteous reaction of doing worse to the offender than he did to us. When we are motivated by revenge or retaliation so often, it's not that we just do like for life. That's bad enough. But we, so often we do worse. We speak worse. We make matters worse than they were to start with or what was done to us. And I thought that was a good thing to think about as well. Well, later on, David Penn's uh, 
Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a man are established by the Lord, that he delights in his way. Though he fall, it shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds the hand. I don't know if he's thinking about this, but certainly we see the Lord upholding David. And, and read this, make sure you read this right. The steps of a man are established by the Lord. It's not saying when he delights in his way, because the steps of a, uh, of a man are established by the Lord in every situation. But it's a statement followed by, and when he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his head. When we follow after the Lord, we will find the Lord sustaining us and doing care of us as we should. And David is a man after the Lord's own heart. Overall, David loves the Lord. He does, he does good things. And here we see the Lord saving him from himself. Then, kind uh, of Proverbs twenty six four, enter not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Well, in a sense, that's what David was going to do. David was going to uh, let Nabal bring him down to his own to Nabal's level. And that's kind of the idea here. Sometimes, um, you know. What, what does that mean? You know, answer a fool according to his folly. Answer not a fool according to his folly. Don't, you know, I, I, one way I uh, sometimes uh, apply this is when the Lord said, uh, don't cast your pearls before swine. Yeah, the point is not that well, some people are pigs and, and all that. It's that it's inappropriate. And uh, so sometimes you talk to someone about the Lord and they're, maybe they're a skeptic, but maybe they just you know, and I've, I've had this happen. You know, so maybe we all have. Where they don't take, they're not taking the Bible and God seriously. They're making fun. They're making jokes about Christ. And I realize this is not the time for me to talk to them because I'm just letting them continue in their foolishness. And so I, I don't, you know, so don't get dragged down into their foolishness. Don't, don't, if they're being base and being forced, don't let yourself become like that. You just uh, make yourself like them. The very next verse, verse 5 says, Answer a fool according to his folly, and you will uh, perhaps save him from folly. And it sounds like a complete contradiction. There, I heard right, there was actually rabbis who think the Proverbs was not inspired because you had this contradiction here, those two verses, which is interesting. But, well, what does it mean then? When should we answer the four according to his folly? Well, when we are correcting them. In other words, when it's appropriate, when they are listening, when you say, look, uh, what you're saying, what you're doing is wrong, and, and you should stop, repent, or whatever, then perhaps we save his soul. We, we get him to change his ways. But there are times when they're not listening, times when only you only face yourself and you get involved them. And so those are some things to think. I was actually talking to someone about this a little bit here recently because I guess the verse was used by some to say that um, it's, it's appropriate for us to use gender uh, confusing pronouns that people want. Because it's, it's okay to uh, Verse 5 in particular, answer a fool according to the fall. If they want to be called that, it's okay to call them that. And that that will 
be helpful to them. Well, no, I think you can. That's going to a text in, in Bible to try to support something you want to believe anyway, right? And, and no, that's not what those verses cannot be used like that. Anyway, we kind of got ourselves off, the, off track a little bit, but there's something here to learn about Abigail and David. Both were approachable, right? David, in his, in his uh, rage, was willing to be approached and to be corrected. And, and Abigail was, a, was willing by her servant to, to be told something, right? And, and to, to take their advice. Hopefully none of us, hopefully we're like that ourselves. We're approachable, willing to listen to people. A parent is willing to listen to their child. And, and I don't mean that your child can correct you necessarily, but in other words, sometimes your child says something that you, you probably just better to listen to, right? <clears throat> Men, sometimes your wife, well, a lot of times your wife says things that if you would listen to them, don't, don't think, well, I'm the head of the home, you can't tell me. That, that's a sure sign of a way to, to ruin the house. Listen to those, maybe even those who aren't have authority over you in some way. Uh, they have good things to say. Both of these people did that and uh, good came from it. So hopefully people can talk to us without us exploding or, uh, you know, taking things the wrong way and just be willing to listen to good advice no matter who's giving it to you. <clears throat> you don't want to be someone who people know that you really can't talk to them because they're just, they don't listen to anything you have to say. So in verse 18, she's been put in a difficult situation by the Lord, but she uses her common sense to do what she can while she's able. You know, maybe the Lord wasn't going to stop David, but she doesn't just say, well, God's sovereign, it's all going to happen no matter what. No, we understand that God works through means. She does what is right. God expects us to be responsible, to obey the Lord, to, to obey the word of God, to do our duty. And he will work things out as he wants to. But if we presume upon the Lord, don't expect the Lord to be able to use you and what they will use you. Because you're living in sin when we uh, presume like that. So her wisdom is seen in that she doesn't <clears throat> start in on David's sin, which there's a sense which she could. You know, what what do you think you're doing? Who are you? Well, that's how Nabal spoke to David in a sense and didn't get him very far. So she treats him with respect, and uh, she admits her husband's guilt. She even accepts the consequences herself. And then she, uh, that she prophesies and think about David's future, and you don't want to have that bad uh, conscience. So, uh, here we don't have much time. So here, David <coughs> does uh, seek. The Lord's will does the right thing. He uh, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to skip through this stuff, and that's probably not going to probably just have to pick this up next week. But you think about it, in the cave last week, David was very concerned about not lifting his hand up against Saul, of doing the Lord's will, of doing the right thing. And here, David as Clearly not motivated by what the Lord wants, right? And such a good uh, lesson for us. And yet, the Lord is gracious and protects him. And so, we see a little bit of the goodness of God and just how that 
if it wasn't for God's goodness and patience with us, we'd ruin ourselves so easily, right? But the Lord loves his people and he remembers, as David says later on, he remembers that we are dust. And as the Lord pities his children, uh, he takes care of us. Um, <clears throat> so everything is God's work. And uh, if we use our wisdom in, in life, we'll usually only hurt the Lord's cause. There's not always a transfer of wisdom from one situation to another. As we've said, we've got to be diligent to always keep, to always meditate upon God's word in every situation. And just because you did well one day, as David did, doesn't mean you're going to do well tomorrow. And to remember that, to understand our weakness, to understand our need of the Lord. And uh, it just shows how much we need wisdom on high because it's so easy for us to um, forget that remaining sin within us. Um, let me let me stop there today because and uh, we'll say a few more things about this next week. But any questions or comments? Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your goodness to us in Christ Jesus. Thank you for, Lord, not only showing grace to, to bring us into the kingdom and make us children of God, but that you have given us your spirit and you have not left us alone. As Jesus told the disciples, I am not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to send the spirit that we will be able to guide you in the truth, to help our conscience. To guide us as well and to follow after Christ. We're empowered by Christ to persevere to the end. And so we're thankful for that. You do not just leave us and leave us in hand. You've given us such great instruction in your word. We pray that we might be people of the word. Well, not just that we know the word, but that we practice the word. And we thank you for your love for us. Just that we your blessings upon the second service. In Jesus' name. Amen.